You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, fresh off of a little 4th of July festivities, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, what's up with your world? I just had a vacation, which is weird to say, not only during quarantine times, but also as like someone who sort of works for themselves or as a content creator. Like, it feels like it's hard to allow yourself to take time off. You were very gracious. I sort of messaged you at some point this week. I was like, I'm probably going to be like not super active in the discord. You're like, I got it. Enjoy your vacation. So I'm very thankful to you for doing that. But yeah, I feel refreshed, rested, very happy to have gotten some time in a pool this summer. That's probably going to be my only time to do that. So I'm feeling pretty good. How about you? How was your weekend? Man, I want to go swimming so bad. I haven't been swimming in a long, long time. Yeah. My weekend was great. I've been playing a lot of M21. Been been jamming the drafts on MTGO. Been crushing the format. The win rate's really good. I think it's somewhere in the 75-ish plus percent. Got 10 trophies. That's pretty sick. Yeah, loving the format. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to pick your brain. I have, uh, I think this will definitely be one of the weeks where you've played quite a bit more magic than I have. I, stay, I stayed away mostly. I did dip my, my toe into a few M21 drafts and a few Vintage Cube drafts, but that was about it. Tried to stay away as much as possible. So I'm excited to get to hear where you're at because you wrote a, a, a heck of a lot of great show notes here that we're going to dive into with all things aggro in M21, which seems to be the name of the game across the board. I think that's that's what a lot of folks are having success with. I think it's a pretty fast format. And we're going to dive into sort of the nitty gritty of what that means for how you're going to approach this format, perhaps a little differently than, than some others in recent memory. But before we get into any of that, we got to talk about... The Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Everybody who gives back to the show gets access to the Discord. We say this each and every week, but it is the best place on the internet to talk about all things limited, sort of a 24-7 limited tech support area. And we offer a FNM each and every week, Ben, which I know you participated in this past Friday. How was that? Yeah, it was a blast. Uh, tough draft, lost in round one, but I rallied in rounds two and rounds three. Uh, spoiler for anyone that watches the video, I guess. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was a blast. Sweet. Yeah. So we have that. We've we've just got a lot of stuff going on in the Discord, a lot of other uh, things that you can get as perks for higher tier donations on the Patreon and all of that's available on that page. And we also want to make sure that we welcome each and every new patron the first week that they join. So Ben's going to help me in welcoming this week, Kevin, Jonah, Dustin, Kwong, Hellasock, Michael D, Eric, Jared, Jake, Brad, Peter, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> FNM World Champion. What a name. Willow. Ryan. Josh. Ryan G. Patrick B. See you later. Monger. High Contrast. Malcolm. Claire. Michael. Tim. Elizabeth. Ryan A. And Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah. Cannot say thank you enough. Just love the Discord. Love the Discord at the start of a format. We gush every week. Get on in there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And just a little bit more housekeeping. We are continuing through doing our M21 days of YouTube content over at our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Lords of Limited. We've got a bunch of draft videos up there. We've got Ben's FNM video we just talked about. We have a seven part series of our limited testing meeting with Corticals from the Limited Level Ups podcast. Ton of content out there trying to just sort of front load here with a bunch of stuff, getting in on the ground floor, watching how the meta shifts for M21. So you can check that out over on our YouTube channel. All right, Ben, where do you want to start with uh, with a little roundtable here? Is that going to be the best place to springboard our discussions? 
Yeah, let's get a little round table action going on. I got a, I got a draft here. You ready to take a seat? I am ready. I can't wait to see what mistakes I'm going to make. Pack one, pick one. See the following cards as options. There's not a lot of great cards in this pack, and that happens sometimes <laughs> that in happens M21. In M- yeah, exactly. Um, so there's there's turn to slag, three red, red, sorcery. Turn to slag deals five damage to target creature. Destroy all equipment attached to that creature. There's a sure strike, one in a red for the instant. Target creature gets plus three, plus zero, oh, and gains first strike until end of turn. None of the other commons are really standing out to me. Ooh, I got a question here because there's a pitch burn devils in the pack, and I feel like I like that better than turn to slag in the five drop slot. Where are you at there? I don't want to put either of those cards in my deck. <laughs> right. I, well, I was just surprised that you mentioned one, but not the other. I think if I have to choose between the two, I'd rather have turn to because it has a more immediate impact on the board. Interesting. Okay, great. It's good to know. In the uncommons, there's Tavern Swindler, one in a black for a 2-2. You can tap, pay three life, flip a coin. If you win the flip, you gain six. Uh, pretty key enabler for the life gain deck there. And then Angelic Ascension, one in a white for the instant. Exile target creature or Planeswalker. Its controller creates a 4-4 white angel creature token flying. And the rare is Liliana Standard Bear, two in a black for a 3-1 flash. When it ETBs, draw X cards, where X is the number of creatures that died under your control this turn. Yeah, so I think for me, this comes down pretty quickly to Angelic Ascension versus the rare Liliana's Standard Bearer. I have not played with the Standard Bearer. I've played against it, and it's fine. You know, my opponent has flashed it in after like maybe a, a couple creatures trade in combat and gets to draw a card or draw two cards if they really tussle hard. But I am kind of on the soft avoiding black train, Ben. How how do you feel about that these days? I think a lot of people are on that train. I I think black is the worst color. I think it's draftable. I think you should not like refuse to draft black. I I really my first O2 came as a result of me just like not wanting to get into black. And I I think it's okay. The, The black suffers the most from just not being aggressive, right? And every other color pair having the tools to be aggressive and the format being pretty aggressive. But I think it's draftable. I mean, Grasp of Darkness is a great card. Skeleton Archer, you know, does a great job slowing down the aggro decks. I I think black has tools, certainly to be a player in the format. I, I just am hoping to be one of the other colors. Right. So I'm, I'm my feeling about black. And as I said, I feel like I'm, I'm going to be behind the times here, having not drafted a ton this week. But my feelings about black are sort of similar to where we landed on green in a of it can get there, but it, it relies pretty heavily on rares and mythics and uncommons. Like, yes, you get the, the yes, you get grasp of darkness and death bloom phallet at common. But beyond that, there really aren't a lot of great tools. And as you said, black really can't be aggressive. And so if you are going to have to lean to a more controlling route, then you're going to need some powerful top end there to get you there. And I feel like that doesn't come unless it's open enough that you're getting the the good uncommons and the rares. Now, is Liliana standard bear a good rare i think it's fine you know i don't think either part of this card is very exciting and yes together it can you know be a good source of card advantage or whatever but a three mana three one with flash is just sort of meh um i I think i would just land on angelic ascension here yeah that's where i landed as well this card has really impressed me up it's come way up for me i mostly like end of turn just kill your thing make a four four flyer and then hold up feet of resistance to protect it has been like very backbreaking i think it's a good card yeah i agree all right so angelic ascension pack one pick one there moving on to pack one pick two see the following cards as options 
there's a Hunter's Edge, three and a green for the sorcery, put a plus and plus one counter on target creature you control, then that creature deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control. There's a Death Bloom Thalad, two and a black for the three, two. When it dies, you make a one, one green sapperling token. Moving on to the uncommons, there's the Black Sanctum, uh, one and a black. And at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, each opponent loses X life and you gain X life, where X is the number of shrines you control. Falconer Adept, three and a white for a two, three. When it attacks, make a one, one white bird creature token with flying that's tapped and attacking. I've come up on this card a little bit. I still don't think I'm as high on it as Alex is from our limited tested meeting, but I did have a chance to play with it today, and it it does some things. Mm, I think there are decks that can back this up in a pretty potent way if you are pretty aggressively slanted. I just feel like it suffers from a, a, the problem of I probably just want Gale Swooper and Basra's Acolyte over this a lot, and so your four drop slot can get clogged. Yeah, 10 out of 10 times. Don't have room for this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then Enthralling Hold, three blue blue for the Enchantment Aura Enchant Creature. You can't choose an untapped creature as this spell's target as you cast it. You control Enchanted Creature. So I had some, some pretty bad experiences with this card early on, which led me to perhaps a tweet that did not age well, because I do <laughs> <laughs> think enthralling hold is better than that it is it is awkward in some situations and i think gets better with cards like frost breath or the uh the four six tapper the kraken um if you just have ways to mitigate the fact that this creature is gonna deal you damage once or that it's gonna force you to chump lock once or whatever i think that does help it but th- this is a pretty strong card in this format yeah there's situations where it doesn't do what you want it to do but when it does work it's very powerful mm-hmm. and speaking of powerful that Tolerian kraken is an absolute house yeah i, I agree I, i've not changed my feeling on that card from when we gushed about it last week so i, I do think there's not a white card here that i really want to follow up with i think falconer adept would be the one to do so but i think enthralling hold is enough better that i want to jump into another color here yeah, for me, it's between Hold and Hunter's Edge, and I landed on Hold as well. So we've got an Angelic Ascension and an Enthralling Hold in our pile. Moving on to pack one, pick three. See the following cards as options. Uh, there's a Drowsing Tranodon, one and a green for the 3-3 three, three Defender, as long as you control a creature with power four or greater. Drowsing Tranodon can attack as though it didn't have Defender. There's a Chandra's Magmut, one and a red for the 2-2. Two, two. You can tap it to deal one damage to target player or Planeswalker. And then the Uncommons, we got two good ones here. There's a Riddle Form, one and a blue for the Enchantment. When you cast a non-creature spell, you can have Riddle form become a 3-3 Sphinx creature with flying in addition to its other types until end of turn. And you can also pay two and a blue to scry one. There's also Jeskai Elder, one and a blue for the one two with prowess. And whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you can draw a card. If you do, discard a card. So I want to ask you, how crazy is it to take Drowsing Tyranidon here? I don't think it's absurd at all. No, that seems reasonable to me. I really like Riddle form, but it's like only good in one deck. It's only really good in blue red and only in like some versions of that deck. I really like Jeskai Elder as well. I think that's good in more decks. I think as we'll see a little bit later in the episode, I do think like the Naya colors are a cut above the rest here because blue has a hard time supporting aggro strategies and a lot of the what red, white, and green are trying to do is be aggressive. And so Jeskai Elder fits in there, but blue doesn't back that up necessarily. I just feel like Drowsing Pteranodon is asking very little of my deck, you know? Yeah, no, that's totally 100% true. I, I ended up on Riddle Form here, but I could certainly see Drowsing Tranodon being the pick. It goes well in blue-green uh, as an early blocker for the Enthralling Hold. It goes well in green-white, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't hate it. I ended up on Riddle Form here following up the Enthralling Hold, but could certainly see Drowsing Tranodon being the pick. 
Okay, interesting. Moving on to pack one, pick four. You see the following cards as options. There's format all-star short sword. <laughs> one mana for the equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one, and has an equipped cost of one. There's a Lana War Visionary still in the pack. 2G for a 2-2 and an ETBs draw a card and tap to add a green. And in the uncommons, we got a Wildwood Scourge. Green X 0 ETBs with X plus 1 plus 1 counters on it. And whenever one or more plus 1 plus 1 counters will be put on another non-Hydra creature you control, put a plus 1 plus 1 counter on Wildwood Scourge. And there's also a Carrion Grub, 3 and a black for the 0-5. Gets plus X plus O, where X is the greatest power among creatures in your graveyard. And when it ETBs, you mill four cards. Certainly, if I had picked up the Pteranodon, I would be very happy to grab the Land of War Visionary here. With you, with uh, a white card and two blue cards. So there's no blue cards here. The only white cards are pretty meh. So you have to move into a second color or a third color rather. And so I think Land of War Visionary is also the pick for you. Yeah, I ended up on Land of War Visionary as well. The card's great. And I think it's a signal at pack one, pick four with two uncommons still in the pack. That means somebody took a common over land of war visionary which like unless it's what Dragonfire or acolyte would be out of sorts you think yeah i think so yeah moving on to pack one pick five see the following cards as options uh there's a spell gorger weird here two and a red for a two two when you cast a non-creature spell put a plus one plus one counter on spell gorger weird there's a death bloom thalid and a couple good white cards there's yeah. an anointed chorister daybreak charger and alpine watchdog like a little three kind of mid-tier aggro beaters there yeah th- those are feel signally to me as well um it makes sense here. I see that you've got the Spellgorger weird highlighted in terms of going well with the two blue cards. I mean, you do have Riddle Form, so you're inclined to want to be a red-blue spells deck. I think if I had gone Pteranodon Visionary, I have less of a reason to go down that route because I just have the Enthralling Hold. And hearkening back to us having the Angelic Ascension and seeing these three good white commons i think i might snap up the alpine watchdog here yeah that makes total sense to me i think it's really close which one of those three you take yeah i I don't have a firm pick order in my mind for those cards yet i generally want the first watchdogs i think that card's super solid i I could see chorister being better daybreak charger pushes a lot of damage daybreak charger gets better when you have one drops like chorister right i I don't know but i I certainly respect the watchdog there i don't know what the answer is as far as which one of those three cards you take yeah and then pack one pick six here Ooh, baby. We got a Conclave Mentor. Green, white, 2-2. Two, two. If one or more plus one plus one counters will be put on a creature you control, you put an extra plus one plus one counter on that creature instead. And when it dies, you gain life equal to its power. So Conclave Mentor is absurd. We snap that up here and ended up rounding out this draft into green, white tokens. So it took a while for us to find our way, but that was a pretty big signal there. Followed that up with an invigorating surge and pretty much put the blinders on as far as green, white goes the rest of the draft. Yeah, I feel like these are not uh, not straightforward drafts because I definitely feel like there was a lot of interesting decisions leading up to the mentor. But then I find that when you get some of these like signpost uncommons for the color pairs late like this, like pack one, pick six, and you've already got your toe into one or maybe both of those colors, like it makes it feel like you want to grab it and kind of hold on a little bit and assume that that lane is open. Yeah, I think that's true. I think once you commit, you commit pretty hard. Yes. Like once you're in, it takes a lot to push you off. For sure. Well, sweet. I mean, I think that green, white, Agro Roundtable is a great way to springboard into talking about all the aggressive decks and what we think are the keys to drafting them and building them and why they're so effective in this format. So take it away, Ben. Yeah, I'm going to kick it off with the aggro deck power rankings. Um, So I think the best aggro deck in M21 is green-white, and I just think it's the best deck in the format at this point. 
Yeah. It hits so hard and it so consistently comes together and does good things. I, I think the very best blue red deck might be better. I'm not even sure if that's true. And blue red, I think, is way more contested. So uh, aggro coming in at number one, green white. Number two, I've got red white. Uh, and in the number three slot, as far as aggro, I've got blue red. I, I do think blue red's a better deck than red white in the format, but I think red white is a better aggressive deck than blue red, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. I've, I've definitely faced just like random curve outs are very good in this format. Blue red does, has a little bit of I'm setting something up, whereas red white is just like you need to deal with this now. Right. Blue red has a lot more pieces that need to come together yeah. to have a great blue red deck. Red white is just straightforward. Play some dudes, play some tricks, kill you dead. Because if you're on the draw with a blue red deck and your plan is to like, I'm going to land my spell gorger weird on three and then I can't tussle in combat because I want to make sure it grows next turn. Like that can just be way too slow of a strategy. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And then bringing up the the tier four slot uh, or in fourth place, red, green and blue, white sort of in a tie there as far as aggressive decks go. Mm-hmm. Um, so just sort of give you a general idea of where we're at with the, the aggro decks. And I do think those are the five most aggressive color pairs in the format. So that leaves us with the four black color pairs and then blue, green as not making the aggro rankings here right and i do think blue green does have some random beatdown draws as well as white black and red black i mean any deck really can have a beatdown draw in the format if you have a good curve and you sort of have to just based on how the format plays out but yeah i think i think these five that we talked about green white red white blue red red green and blue white are the five that want to be beating down the most and now to put you on the spot here now are you these are our rankings of aggro decks. Are these also your rankings of where you're at with color pairs in general in the format? No, I don't think so. I think okay. I think green white. I do think I think the top three are my top three. I think I would go green white, blue red, red white as my top three decks, and then I think I would probably go blue green next. I have really liked blue green. When it comes together, you have to get the land of war visionaries, but you can do some really powerful things defensively in the format so i think if i'm not playing one of those three decks i'd prefer to be doing a great non-aggro strategy but red red, green and blue white are good as well i think i think the top three are a clear three and past that it gets a little muddy for me okay yeah just good to know i think don't want to misconstrue aggro deck power rankings as you know format power rankings if those don't line up sure yeah all right so why is aggro so good in this format now we touched on this a little bit last week with the aggressive decks impressing us and sort of reordering where we're at with the commons because of that. But I think it's important to dive a little deeper here. Yeah, I think the overarching thing that we talked about is that the best commons all incentivize you to be aggressive, right? If you think about the top commons, Basri's Acolyte wants you to be aggressive. The red removal spells and the red creatures want you to be aggressive. Drowsing Tranodon wants you to beat down. Hunter's Edge wants you to remove a blocker and beat down. Roaming Ghostlight wants you to play a tempo game and attack. All of the really good commons incentivize you to be aggressive. And then all of the the tier past that commons play support roles well in aggressive decks. Yeah, for sure. You've got this thing here that I think is really important to talk about here. You say the best commons and uncommons scale well into the late game intrinsically. And I think this is a term that is thrown around. I know we use it a lot. And I think it's worth sort of breaking down what we mean by that because I it opens up evaluating these potentially interchangeable one, two, and three drops or whatever and figuring out, well, which ones do I want to prioritize over other ones? Yeah, I think scaling is almost something that's not talked about enough in Magic. 
So I've, I've been playing a lot of Hearthstone Battlegrounds recently, not to go on a tangent here. No, no, please, please. One of the things you really want to do in Hearthstone Battlegrounds is scale into the late game, like get your early minions that you buy and power them up. Like you might you might stick with a minion that you've played on turn one the entire course of the game if you can buff it up enough. And I think in Magic, you know, when we're talking about like two drops that scale into the late game, usually it's two drops that have a powerful mana sink, right? That's how I think it's usually used in Magic, like something that stays that you can play early that stays relevant into the late game because of a mana sink ability or something like that. But I don't think it's often the case where like just power and toughness either stays relevant enough into the late game or you can augment power and toughness well to get it to compete with the four, five, six drops that are in the format. I do think that's really true here. Yeah. So what are some cards that jump out at you as being the cards that do scale well with the game? Uh, Seasoned Hallowblade, for sure. It can attack with impunity a lot of the time. That's one and a white for the 3-1 and you can pitch a card to give it indestructible until end of turn. Based on a Twitter conversation that happened, we are now calling this card ben slayer angel <laughs> yeah that's that's gonna be the lords of limited community name for it yeah uh, i was saying i would take this over bane slayer angel and uh in our limited testing meeting in the white meeting and alex posted about it and lsv lsv shot me down but I, I stand by it i think i think the card's very close if it's not better than bane slayer angel it's very close to as good as bane slayer angel which is says a lot of things about both seasoned hollow blade and the speed of the format i think I agree. I think the fact that a lot of the responses to that, and I think that my response to that is, is, you know, that's at face value, you're like, oh, that's crazy. But really digging into it and thinking about what Season Hallowblade does in the format in terms of being a rock star two drop um, that it feels very difficult to interact with. I do think that that it's a it's worth making that comparison. Right. So and then there's Drowsing Tranodon, two mana for a 3-3, three, three, which is busted. A lot of four and five mana cards in the format are 3-3s. Three, and there's a lot of ways to get one counter on this to turn it into a 4-4. Four, four, and then it pretty much tussles with everything in the format. There's also Spell Gorger Weird, Tuna Red for the 2-2 two, two that grows when you cast spells. So you play that on turn three, play some spells. All of a sudden, it's the biggest creature on the battlefield, you know, competing with your opponent's four, five, and six drops. Igneous Cur, you can pump, make it relevant to the late game. Sea Striker, the two and a white one one with double strike that you can tap creatures to give it plus one plus one. Like that's very easy to turn into the biggest threat on the battlefield, you know, well into turn six, seven, eight. There's so many cards. Bull Town grows your creatures, anointed chorister has a pump ability to turn it into a four-four. There's lots of cheap threats that compete into the late game, and that speeds the format up because you're incentivized to play lots of copies of those cheap threats. Yeah, so I think there are maybe two-ish definitions of cards that scale with the game. The first is, I think, of cards that are not only good on curve, but are good as top decks. And I think in this format, specifically because of the relatively small creature sizes, 3-3s and even some 2-2s scale just fine in that sense because they can even be a relevant body. You know, your 2-mana 2-2 can even have some relevance when you draw it on turn six or whatever, and that's something you want to play because of the ways you can augment creatures and the way the combat tricks play into the format, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. I think bonus points if the card has a mana sink slash activated ability slash ability to grow larger, that's going to also be a a way that that card scales. So that's a lot of the cards that you talked about. And then I also think there's another way of talking about scaling with the game as referring to cards that when played in the early game have the opportunity to grow as the game progresses. So Spell Gorger Weird being a great example of that. Query on Dryad being a great example of that as a two mana one one, but that grows with every, you know, white, blue, black or red spell that you cast. Anointed Chorister being something that's like good on turn one, can chip in, can trade with the next one. But then all of a sudden when you've got five mana to pump into it, it's great. So what are some cards that 
are perhaps not good to scale with the game that, that are good on curve. But then if you draw them on turn six, it's like, oh, no, this is not going to have the impact I want. I mean, something like Jeskai Elder. So one in a blue for the one, two with prowess. And when it damages an opponent, you get a loot. That, that's going to be able to attack very well on turns two, turns three, turn four. But as soon as your opponent plays, you know, a three, three, unless they're worried about you casting two spells, they're going to be able to block your Jeskai Elder or something like Kite Sail Freebooter. I keep raging against this card as one in a black for the one, two flyer. When it ETBs, you look at your opponent's hand and you got to take a non-creature spell out of it. You got to dress your opponent. I don't think this card is great in the format. Mostly because a lot of the best decks, I think, have 17, 18 creatures in them. So you're likely to whiff. And when you do whiff, it, the body is really irrelevant. But my opponents keep savaging me with it. <laughs> um, or even something as simple as Concordia Pegasus. Just one in a white, one, three flyer. Like those stats don't hold up over the course of the game. Right. That's a card that's going to really benefit, especially in this format, from like being on turn two. And then you get to augment it perhaps in some way. You throw a dub on it. You get that into a three drop into Basri's Acolyte. You know, you're doing things with it. But then once all that dust is sort of settled and you're looking to draw something that's going to help you push some damage, that's when Concordia Pegasus falls into that slot of stuff that doesn't scale with the game. And I was thinking about, and as we'll, we'll get into looking at like the, the great aggro commons that exist in this format and how Black doesn't really have any to play with. You know, Masked Blaggard feels like it should slot in here, right? Like it's a it's a two mana Goblin Piker, right? Two mana, two one. It's got an activated ability here, but I really do feel like it just fails on both angles here by being one toughness and it being three mana to pump into. Like even pumping six mana into this, it still trades with Drowsing Pteranodon. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. I think the, the other way that cards scale in this format is that a lot of the best commons and uncommons are ways to augment and buff the power and toughness on your medium-ish or your medium plus cards, like your C's, your C pluses, to get them to compete and or scale, if you want to use that word, into the late game. So yeah. think think Basri's Acolyte, two white white for the two three lifelinker. When ETBs, you put two plus one plus one counters on your creatures. If you play, you know, Alpine Watchdog, two two Vigilance into Makeshift Battalion, and all of a sudden you turn that into a three three and a four three, those cards are relevant very much for the whole rest of the game mm -hmm. so there's so many ways to do things like that think feet of resistance uh tempered veteran is the the one on a white one two where you can pay a white tap it put a plus one plus one counter on a creature that has a plus one plus one counter on already or you can pay six mana to get the first plus one plus one counter on a creature keen glide master can jump creatures into the late game to make them relevant to push the last points of damage rousing read gives a creature plus one plus one and flying there's so many ways i'm just going to rattle off some other cards here battle rattle shame and pun not intended <laughs> <laughs> bull town hunter's edge pride malkin satessin training invigorating surge is a combat trick that leaves behind counters and short sword i think you know we've talked a lot about short sword you know last week and this week this card is really good mostly because it can turn a 2-2 into a 3-3 and a 3-3 is good enough to compete into the late game in this format right that was the kind of crazy thing here you posted this in the show notes that two drops can routinely trade with three four and even five cmc cards and once i saw that i immediately thought back to when we were starting to figure out Ixlon. You know, there was this removal spell in that format. It was like five mana, deal four damage to something. You know, took a while for folks to realize that that card was just quite bad because so much of that format was about just like dropping two drops and suiting them up. There was this card, Fathom Fleet Firebrand, which was one in a red for a 2-2 that had smoke breathing. You could pay one in a red to give it plus one, plus oh. And that was one of the best two drops because it scaled with the game, right? It could just trade with everything. And we could go along the curve in many colors and say like, 
look, a 2-2 is going to trade with a 2-drop, a 3-drop, a 4-drop, and a 5-drop in this color. Like Red had a 5-mana 3-2 in that format. And this format is not much different, with the exception of Green with Gnarled Sage as the 5-mana 4-4 and Colossal Dreadmaw as the 6-mana 6-6. And then obviously like there are those like giant monsters like the 5-7 Hexproof or the 8-6 in black, but those cards are not getting cast that much. And I think certainly when you're building an aggressive deck and facing a deck that has those cards they probably don't get cast all that often just because hopefully your opponent is dead before they get to seven mana but so thinking about the exception of those you know the four four and the six six the 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 creatures are all battling pretty much at like two two and three three level and then conversely the removal is either hyper efficient with shock dragon fire and grasp of darkness or it's very clunky right it's like a four mana or a five mana play to take out what's probably a two mana threat like hunter's edge or secure the scene or turn to slag or finishing blow like those cards are trading down on mana a lot in this format i think right 100 percent agree with that yeah and i think the other thing that happens as far as scaling when there are all these good aggressive threats that scale into the late game the late game gets compressed right because everybody's jamming more and more things at the bottom of their curve so the games are over with faster so there's not even time to really try to stabilize and there's not as much of a late game to scale into so they don't have to scale quite as hard right the, and then the last thing you know for the format being aggro there really isn't a lot of good support at common for combating aggro or going over the top of aggro except for Llanowar Visionary in green ramping you into you know good five and six drops that's one of the best ways to combat it and I think Shock and Scorching Dragonfire in red. Like that's one of the best ways to beat green-white aggro is to just pick off their two drop and their three drop. And then all of a sudden, you know, their their busted starts don't happen. And then, you know, if you think black, you know, Grasp of Darkness, Skeleton Archer, those are two of the best ways at common to slow down aggro starts. And I think as more people start to draft aggro, you know, we'll probably talk about this next week would be my guess. But as more people start to draft aggro, the format is going to slow down a bit in that like the aggro decks are going to get worse as more people are trying to draft them right right and then maybe that's going to be the time for some of those other cards and strategies to shine a little bit more yeah it'll be really interesting to see hopefully if things shake out and even out a little bit we'll start to figure out what black's potential is in this format and hopefully it's higher than what we're seeing now i want to take a, a second to ask you about pestilent haze the the sort of mini sweeper at uncommon for black do you think that that is like a good enough tool to have a black deck have a controlling bent to it or whatever is that a reason to move into black i feel like things can just get out of hand like if you're facing a plus and plus one counters deck pestilent haze has to be just like right on time you know that's what i think you have to have it at the exact right moment otherwise you know drowsing tranadon just doesn't die to it and then if they've suited their two drop up with a short sword or they've played their boss acolyte before you have that there there's so many ways that that falls apart. I, I do think it's a good card. I think you want to include it if you're a black control deck, uh, but I don't think it's just the answer to beating aggro. I've also had the experience of like my opponent plays, you know, whatever, a two drop and then an Alpine Houndmaster and searches up the two cards. And I'm like, well, I have to kill these two creatures, but because Houndmaster just gives red white card advantage, it doesn't really feel like you're getting away with anything. Right. Yeah. So what does a generic aggro deck look like in M21? And how does it win, Ben? So I think, yeah, we, we could go through every color pair, but I think honestly, a lot of the aggressive color pairs look the same. I think priority number one is you want a curve that stops at four CMC and you'll play a five drop or two if you have to, but you're not happy about it. And you certainly are unhappy about a six drop because a six drop means you're running 17 lands 
and then your deck just starts to get a little less focused. So I, I, I want very much, if I have a good aggressive deck, I want my curve to stop at 4 CMC, and I really want my 4 CMC cards to be cards that help me push damage. So Bossry's Acolyte, Gale Swooper to jump a creature into the air, Hunter's Edge, you know, kill a blocker, add a plus one plus one counter a creature, enable an attack, that sort of thing. That makes sense. Past that, I'm as far as number of lands, I'm really hoping to run 16 lands normally, maybe 15 lands if you can get away with it, if you've got a really good aggressive deck. I really don't want to play tapped dual lands in aggro if I can avoid it, unless I really feel like I need it with colored sources. Like there's been some times in green white decks where I've had green green cards on turn three, you know, maybe you've got a Brontodon or the Garrix Harbinger uh, as a rare or something, and you've got Bossry's Acolyte, then maybe you might need to. But uh, curving out, I think, is generally important enough that the tap lands are really punishing when they're bad. Yeah, I was going to contest this, but then I saw your next point here about. You want three to five one CMC cards. And the fact that there are one drop creatures that you want to play, it really does mean or you want to have shock for your opponent's one mana play or their two mana play if you're on the draw. Like there are, I think, enough instances where even we're not not even talking about the gain lands, but I'm a big proponent of playing the one color scry lands. Like if I'm in white green and I have the red white scry land, I'm going to be happy to play that but there is a part of these decks that really does want to go one two three four which isn't always going to happen but i do think you know hearkening back to our you know first aggressive episode with ryan Sachs about building with optimism this idea of like if you're gonna build your deck as an aggressive deck you want to build it thinking the most optimistic way of like well what am i trying to do with this deck and how can i best support that plan and you really are trying to go one two three four right and there's there's school of thought there that's gonna say you should run tap lands right like they're gonna like i think magic players are probably 50 50 on that if i had to guess but Mm -hmm. I, i am definitely on team no tap duels in an aggro deck. Uh, so yeah, and then as you said, three to five one CMC cards, you know, a couple creatures, some anointed choristers, selfless saviors, an awesome one, white for the one one that can sack to give a creature indestructible, um, some short swords, you know, happy running two short swords, could even see a world maybe where you run a third in some aggro decks. And then the cheap removal really uh, does does work here. Shock, Scorching Dragonfire, Hunter's Edge. And, you know, you would theoretically include Grasp in there, but Black's just not aggressive. So I don't, I don't think that really gets much consideration sure yeah i think so and then i think if you don't get the cheap removal combat tricks are way better than the clunky four fives not four but five six mana removal like i would rather have you know two titanic growths than be playing turn to slag in my red green deck yeah i think that's definitely true and you want the the beef there from titanic growth i think more than perhaps something like ranger's guile i do think like the large boosts that you can get like sure strike or titanic growth i think they do have a huge impact in the format because double blocking comes up a lot yeah no that makes total sense to me um and i I think most aggro decks in the format you're happily running anywhere from like three to six combat tricks especially feet of resistance yeah well feet of resistance that feels like a combat trick on steroids. Yeah, card's absurd. And then the last last recipe is as many, quote, good two drops as you can get. And I think I put good in quotes because most of the two drops just don't look good to me, but they play out so well. So I think this idea of redefining your definition of what a good two drop is for the format. So for example, like Alpine Watchdog, I think that's a good card in this format in an aggressive deck. So why is that? Why is Alpine Watchdog such an overperformer for you? So first of all, 2-2 for 2CMC is just fine stats in the format. Creatures are generally smaller, like this is going to be able to attack into your opponent's Onake Ogre or, you know, their roaming Ghost Light, the 3-2 flyer that bounces something. Um, it, It just... 
attacks well and it plays offense and defense, which is important when a lot of people are trying to play aggro. Mm-hmm. So the the vigilance part comes up is relevant, annoying. It wears counters and short swords and or auras like dub super well because then it gets to play both offense and defense. And I think, you know, even if something as simple as putting short sword on it makes it trade with three and four CMC cards, which is what you want to do. You want your two drops to trade up with your opponent's cards and then you get ahead on mana and eventually tempo and then eventually, you know, you reduce their life total to zero. So I think it's the the perfect example of a card that scales well into the late game because of how many other good cards there are that boost stats. Like this is the medium or medium plus card that you want to put your Basri's Acolytes counters on. You want to put your Feet of Resistance counter on, that sort of thing. Yeah, this feels like, you know, we were touching on this a little bit last week about what are the, this format is about the cards that are like D pluses that you turn into Cs. And I think Alpine Watchdog is like the quintessential card in that form, in the format for me. Yeah. And so speaking of, you know, ways to augment your cards, combat tricks, I think, and good gameplay along with that, but combat tricks are really key to winning with aggro decks in this format. So going to kick off our combat trick discussion with our combat trick power rankings. (laughs) Uh, The number one slot, we've got Feet of Resistance. Number two, we've got Invigorating Surge. Number three, Angelic Ascension. It's so interesting that you put this as a combat trick on this list, but I think it makes sense to me. That idea of just, you know, end of turn, turn my anointed chorister into a 4-4 flyer and protect it is pretty huge. Yeah, and it, it can blank a removal spell. Like, oh, it just yeah. does so much. And the 4-4 flyer is huge. Like It's one of the best threats in the format. Right. Well, then, because it, it, so it immediately gets out of range of shock and scorching dragon fire. You only have now grasp really to contend with. And then beyond that, you're talking about four mana removal or five mana removal. Right. And it, honestly, it just doesn't feel bad to use this as like an aura that's plus two plus and flying to a two two. Like you're, you're fine being down a card in this format. The games end quickly enough. Yeah. Number four on this list is Titanic Growth. Number five, Sure Strike. Number six, Alchemist's Gift. I love that card, but it's black, so yeah. it, got, it got bumped down a little bit. Number seven, Ranger's Guile. Yeah, I'm lower on Ranger's Guile than I was last week. I, I was thinking that like protecting threats was more important because of maybe like suiting stuff up or whatever, or it being one mana, but I, I think that Titanic Growth, just pound for pound, gets the job done better. And number eight here is Burn Bright, probably a, a nod to the uh, the three card combo of Burn Bright, Crash Through, and Goblin Wizardry. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So just talking about why combat tricks are good in the format, just at face value, there is a lot of combat happening in the format, both in terms of racing and in terms of attacking into opponent that's trying to stabilize maybe with bigger blockers than you've got. And I think combat tricks throw off the math or, you know, the math for blockers or the clock, you know, when you're in a racing situation in both of those things, like they, they do it all. Yeah, I agree. So when we talked about this idea of scaling, sometimes, you know, you can't scale quite hard enough to get through what your opponent's doing. Sometimes they go, you know, turn three Palladium Mirror into turn four Colossal Dreadmaw. But I think there's a way that that you deal with that. And I think combat tricks are that. Um, so what happens is that Combat tricks sort of act as a removal spell and a way to push damage. So if you've gone, you know, one drop, two drop, three drop, and then your opponent taps out, you know, and plays their Colossal Dreadmaw on turn four, if you've got something like Titanic Growth, it allows you to attack your whole team into a bigger blocker that your opponent was planning to stabilize with, and then it makes it kill their blocker if they do choose to block. If not, great, you put them in the same spot the next turn, but it just pushes so much damage, and I think you really need to make sure that you have combat tricks in your aggro decks for that reason. 
Like when your opponent tries to go to stabilize, you've got the thing that lets you attack into their bigger blocker. Yeah. And then you're also, because that combat trick is so cheap, you're also probably able to affect the board in an additional way that turn as well. Yeah. And so as we talked about, I think saving your combat tricks, as Johnny Depp would say, for the opportune moment (laughs) is really important. Uh, You don't want to use them early on, you know, your two drop trading with their two drop. You're fine with that. You really want to leverage them when your opponent plays that big threat. Um, similar to the idea of, you know, you want to try to save your removal for the creature that you can't quite deal with, right? You don't fire your removal spell off on the first creature you see. You similarly, you don't fire your combat trick off in the first combat that happens. And I think that's talked about a lot less with combat tricks than it is with removal spells. Well, I think we're still in this age of coming into a format, assuming combat tricks are filler or bad. They are not in this format. That's for sure. I think, you know, your opponent is also likely going to have combat tricks if they know what's up. So knowing what they could have and trying to swing this to your advantage is really important. So feat of resistance is primo here. It essentially says, assuming you have the timing right, that you can't get blown out, that you're at least at the very worst going to end at parity at the end of that combat. Selfless savior is also outstanding in that regard. It's just a get out of jail free card in that you know you're not going to get blown out if there's a combat trick war. And then I think Titanic Growth, you know, plus four plus four is often the ultimate trump card in a non feat of resistance type war where, you know, it beats Sure Strike, it beats just plus one plus one from Ranger's Guile, or it blanks, you know, uh, Scorching Dragonfire, that sort of thing. It, the plus four plus four is really large. I think this is why combat tricks get a bad rap generally is because, you know, you do have this potential to get blown out. And so people are very wary of playing with them. And I think as we'll we'll talk about in just a second, there is this idea of like, who's going to blink first or making sure that you're setting yourself up for a combat where your opponent's already tapped out so that you have the sort of the, the fear that you can instill in them with you having open mana and making some attacks that perhaps look questionable or whatever, or setting them them up to, to make an unfavorable block or double block or whatever. But you really want to understand the flow of the game here and the, the flow of how the turns are going back and forth. And if you're racing or not, like if your opponent's trying to stabilize, all that stuff is important in figuring out when you're going to fire off these tricks to make sure that you're the one blowing your opponent out and not vice versa. Right. There's been a lot of times that I've been streaming where, you know, I've attacked whatever, something good, like seasoned Hallowblade or something else that's, you know, think, think of a good, good aggressive card and my opponent makes a block and they've got open mana and I've got a combat trick that can save my thing. And I just let the trade happen. And Twitch chat's always like, why did you let that happen? Because if I blink first and I fire my thing off and I two, I get two for one, that's really bad for me. Whereas just letting the trade happen lets me add to the board and leverage that combat trick on later turns. Exactly what you're talking about there. Right. Yeah. That, that phrasing of who blinks first, I think is a really important thing to instill and think about. And you really don't want to be that person. Right, for sure. So and that that brings us to our next section here, which is how to leverage combat tricks. And I think play patterns in the format oftentimes lead to whoever's on the back foot being tapped out because they're playing from behind because the removal is largely really inefficient past Scorching Dragonfire, Shock and Grasp of Darkness, which means that if you're trying to come back from behind, you have to be blocking. Like blockers is how you're trying to stabilize. And to get that blocker down on the battlefield, you know, be it Colossal Dreadmaw or whatever, you have to tap out to cast that card. And then that lets you as the aggressive player leverage those combat tricks into an opponent that's tapped out with a blocker, which is just the the feeling of you know you're going to savage your opponent. And then when you're the person with the Dreadmaw and your opponent just taps all their creatures, you know they've got it, right? Yeah. The 
the board states and the creature sizing, I think, is also important. That Those two things in tandem, the fact that people are trying to affect the board early and often and this, uh, this play pattern that you're describing of, you know, once you're behind, how you get out from being behind is by affecting the board. And that's how you affect the board is by tapping out on your turn to cast creatures. This leads to people double blocking a lot of the time. And, you know, you put your your 2-3 and your 2-2 two, two in front of the a drowsing Tyranniton with a Satessin training on it or whatever. And that just is a recipe to blow out your opponent. Right. You, your opponent dies to a sneeze. They yeah. die to a ranger's guile or whatever, you know. And then I think the last thing to think about, and this is what you were talking about a little bit ago, is if, if you get into a combat trick war, in if it's possible... I think you want to try to make sure you're either blocking or attacking with the bigger card. Like if both players are going to have open mana, you want to be the person with a bigger card or at the very worst at parity if you're okay with it happening. But you want to be the person with a bigger card so that your opponent has to act first so that you get to be the person that plays the trump card. Right. You want to be the one who gets to force your opponent into making an awkward decision with their cards and again not vice versa right so there's our primer and ode to combat tricks in the format i just the amount of times that i right click concede in response to a combat trick being cast in this format is absurd (laughs) next thing to take a look at here is just as far as aggro decks everybody knows at this point i think what the best commons are and what the best aggressive top commons are but where where the good aggressive commons shine past those top commons. So kicking things off with white, where have you liked Anointed Chorister? I've liked it in, I think, every white deck that I've played. Like, this card is just good in the format because of, you know, X1s existing that people are playing, like, you know, Keen Glide Master or daybreak charger or whatever like the fact that this has the potential to just trade one for one with a relevant body on the board that's fine and then the fact that there are life gain synergies that's also fine and the fact that this wears you know auras or plus one plus one counter so well and then also has an activated ability i think this card is just good in white decks I agree. I think you're happy playing two to three copies in any white aggressive deck. Also plays super well with cards like Sure Strike and Titanic Growth. That yeah, killing something and getting a four or five point life swing is huge. For sure. Uh, Alpine Watchdog, we've talked about a bunch already. I don't think we need to go into that anymore. Daybreak Charger, one and a white for a three one. I think you're, again, playing as many copies of this as you get probably in any white aggressive deck and certainly goes up in value when you've got cards like Anointed Chorister that are one drops that you can push the extra two damage on when you're curving out. I will say a knock against Chorister and Charger and other X1s in the format. I do think there is a, a pretty big difference for me in in Charger and Alpine Watchdog, and perhaps this is incorrect, but just the fact that you know cards like Skeleton Archer and to a lesser extent Sky Scanner just kind of embarrass those cards. And that's not the spot you want to be in when you're trying to curve out. You don't want to give yourself the opportunity to get blown out where your opponent gets to stabilize with their archer on turn four. I agree. I would say the the counterpoint I would make to that is that oftentimes you have two or three Bosri's Acolytes in your deck mm-hmm. and then you can enable them to attack past that. So I, I initially thought that as well. I've found myself not being that unhappy with Daybreak Charger. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's very good and, and it gets better the more anointed courses you have. I mean, that one-two punch is very good. For sure. Uh, Makeshift Battalion, I think, is just a really rock-solid card, especially if you're thinking about curving out one, two, three, four, that this has the potential to, in its first attack, get a plus-plus-one counter on it. Then if you have other plus-one-plus-one counter synergies, like, God forbid, one year two drop is the Mentor, and now it's a five-four attacking. And just the 
the thing we're talking about with the creature sizing, the makeshift battalion is a three power creature that is probably going to trade with most common creatures in the format. Yeah, this is the best makeshift battalion's ever been. And the first time I've ever been like fine to fine plus with putting it in my deck. Staunch Shieldmates up next. This is single white for the one three. I think you're only playing this if you don't get anointed choristers and you really want to curve out. I, I generally, I'm hoping to not put this in my deck. It's, this is uh, I got no choristers, but still have some daybreak chargers and Vosri's acolytes. Right. I was going to say, I think it's the number of acolytes you have will influence the number of shield mates that you're happy to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warded Battlements. This is the O3 that gives your attacking creatures plus one plus O. I really like this. Again, we're talking about this is like these small minor ways to augment your creatures really going up in value and a plus one plus oh, you know, now you're suddenly your two two is attacking as a three two and now maybe they need to to double block it or whatever, or you have the potential to force them to double block and you can now kill two things or whatever. I don't know. Like it's just a big bump, like going from two power to three power is big. I'm medium-ish on it. I've liked it in blue, white. Okay. I think it, it does suffer the more removal your opponent has, the worse it gets, right? Like if your two drop is Alpine Watchdog and then your turn three play is Warded Battlements and your opponent shocks your Alpine Watchdog, all of a sudden you're putting no pressure on your opponent. So I, I do think... I'm hoping to run one to zero of these in most non-blue-white decks. I think it just depends what's going on on the curve. That's fair. Because there's not a ton of threes is my only thing. Like, I don't find, I find that my, my twos and my fours get clogged. And I know, like, it's not a thing of like, well, you just need more three drops. I recognize that's not a thing. But I have found that, like, I, I am happy to go, like, one drop, two drop, warded battlements, smash. Now my chorister is a two one or whatever. Like, I think it's, I think it's got play outside of blue white. I think makeshift battalion's better. How do you feel about that? Oh, I agree for sure. Okay. Yeah, okay, I, would, cool. I would rather my three drop be able to attack than not. I think that's important, right? Because both of those are at common at three. And, yeah. not, and it's not obvious which one of those cards is better, I think. Sure. Dub is up next, two and a white for a, an enchantment that gives your creature plus two plus two and first strike. This card's fine to good. It certainly goes up if you have Hallow Blades and Feats of Resistance and or Ranger's Guile. I prefer to not start it or maybe run one copy and then bring it out of the board once I've seen, you know, that my opponent's removal is going to get outclassed by the dub you know if i can put dub on a drowsing tranodon and just go to town because they have shocks and scorching dragon fires or whatever so i prefer to know the situation i'm going into rather than main decking the dub yep and last on this list is legion's judgment which i think is a sideboard powerhouse but i am not about main decking this card yeah not about main decking it either but i think you should pick it fairly aggressively if you're a white aggro deck because it's so good out of the sideboard all right i think this is going to be a, a pretty a stark contrast to the cards in blue that can potentially lend towards aggressive decks. We've only got two at common. The first one up, I think, is a, a very solid one. King Glidemaster sort of does it all as a two mana, two one, as something that can push through damage with its activated ability, something that is a card that scales with the game because it has a, a mana sink attached to it. I think this card is really good. It's just that blue doesn't really support aggressive stuff that much yeah i agree i've been actually the most impressed with king glidemaster in blue green just as a late game mana sink for sure a uh, frost breath is the last card here tuna blue for the instant tap two target creatures your opponent's control they don't untap during the controller's next untap step this card has been a house in reaching racing situations yeah looking at red we've sort of got the Maybe the new three musketeers here, the, the three red two drops at common, Chandra's Magma, Igneous Kerr, and Hobble Fiend. I would probably rank them in that order, 
Um, I'm curious if you feel like Igneous Kerr is the best of that bunch. I don't. I, I'm on Chandra's Magma 1. I am undecided between Kerr and Hobblefiend. I think it depends on the deck a little bit. Mm-hmm. Kerr is better in the late game than Hobblefiend is, but it doesn't often attack early. You have to do you have to do a little more work to make Kerr a good card. Those are sort of interchangeable for me right now, and I'm sure there's an answer to it. I just don't have that answer at the moment. Yeah, but all, all three, I mean, you just compare those three <laughs> to the three two drops that black gets which is mass blaggard walking corpse and fetid imp and there's just not they're the worlds apart there yeah and those and those aren't even you know red's best cards no exactly not crash through is next this is single red for the sorcery creatures you control gain trample until end of turn draw a card this is very good in the red blue spells deck but i think it's also just good outside of that right if you've got spell gorger weirds and things like that you'll play crash throughs i've liked it in red green a lot as a way to just push damage from bigger creatures at times i think crash throughs a a sleeper a little bit outside of the red blue deck well and also especially thinking about it with red green you're going to end up with maybe some little pocket of i care about drawing two cards like maybe you just get joel reel the rare that makes two two cats if you draw your second card or whatever and then crash through is like a fine card because it's gonna it's just one mana cycling but then also has little pockets of synergy for you as well sure uh we talked about sure strike it's just a phenomenal combat trick i think that's gonna be going in all of your red decks you like you probably want to find room for one copy of this in your you know 15 plus creature decks yeah i think you're happy with one to two copies in any aggressive deck onake ogres up next two in a red for the four two i think i'm hoping to not play onake ogre in general unless i've got four power matter stuff mostly because it feels so brutal against alpine watchdog and that card is running around everywhere in this format but it like it is four power you know you slap a rousing read on it or something and you know you've got a five three flyer that's a threat mm-hmm. fear of the bitten this is the single red aura plus two plus two creature attacks each turn if able i think this is fine i think you're probably hoping to not run this like if you've got some if you're trying to do some sort of suit up a creature in red green or red white with dub with ranger's guile with feet of resistance with seasoned hollow blade you can get there there are spots where this card is going to shine but i think you have to do some work for it i again i uh, similar to dub i prefer to know what i'm up against rather than main deck it sure that makes sense but i but i do think it's a good card in the format and i think if you don't get the combat tricks you do need to run cards like Fuhrer and dub so that you can push through when your opponent plays that large threat mm-hmm. last on this list destructive tampering two in a red uh, destroy target artifact or creatures without flying can't block this turn i have not been in love with this card i think it's fine as a one of in an aggressive deck that maybe didn't quite get there. That's that's sort of how I view that card. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, moving on to green, Pride Malkin. We slept on this card, or yes. I, I slept on yeah. this card. I think the world at large slept on this card. It doesn't look as good because it's hard to understand that like body it leaves behind. Like the, uh, We talked about this in this limited testing meeting. Like This feels like a one and a half for one. It puts a counter on something and then leaves behind a two one, which is a fine body in this format. And the trample is so relevant. Your drowsing Tranodon being a 4-4 trample is scary in mm-hmm. this format. And then all of a sudden, when you put a Titanic Growth on your 4-4 Trampler, like you're pushing loads of damage. Yeah. And speaking of another common 3-drop that feels like a 2-for-1, Truffle Snout as the 3-mana 2-2 two two that can either have a counter on it or you can gain 4 life. Both of those modes are quite good. A 3-mana three 3-3 three three is like kind of overstated in this format a little bit. 
And a three mana two, two again, leaves behind a body that is relevant and then gives you a huge life boost. Like let's say you're feeling like you're on the back foot. You're going to be the person who has to come back and stabilize. This card really helps you do that. Yeah. We've talked about Titanic growth in the combat trick section. I think you're happy again, playing anywhere from one to two copies of this in aggressive decks. And then Satessin training again, triggering stuff, giving trample, cantripping, enabling Pteranodon, I think is probably the, the biggest name of the game here. Pteranodon is is a card that I think, you know, to a lesser extent of Alpine Watchdog, a card that, you know, we're talking about, it's a D plus, you want to make a C. It feels like Pteranodon is like a C plus that you're trying to turn into a B minus or a B with these kind of, with like a Pride Malkin or a Satessin training or whatever. I think Pteranodon just might be a B in the B, format. Yeah, that's definitely possible. Yeah, there's so many of these cards that play well with uncommons too. Think Siege Striker, the, the two and a white one, one with double strike. You know, slap a Satessin training on that, give it trample, and then put a Titanic growth on it, and you're tending your opponent not counting any other creatures on the battlefield right yeah like there's there's so many things to do with these commons and aggressive decks yeah we mentioned ranger's guile having you know a, a home and protecting some threats or whatever if you're suiting something up but i think by and large titanic growth gets the job done better there and last on the list is i think perhaps a sleeper just sort of suffering from the fact that there's tons of stuff to do at four cmc Sabertooth mauler the four mana three three that has at the beginning of your end step if a creature died this turn you put a plus and plus one counter on it and untap it this card can get large pretty quickly like if you can enable a turn where when this comes down it's a four mana four four again that's just kind of above rate for creatures in this format yeah 100% agree uh, if we take a look at black Yeah, so I think it is important to quickly talk about those three two drops and why they don't sort of get the job done or perhaps just why black as a color can't pair up with these other colors to be an aggressive deck. Yeah, lay lay it on me. Well, so I think we talked about Masked Blaggard, which I think is the best of that bunch as a two mana two one with flash talking about two ones being a fine body but the one toughness i think gets us a knock against it and the fact that it's a three mana pump for only plus one plus one doesn't really let it scale into the late game the way that you know even something like anointed chorister is just better pound for pound you pump five mana into that and now it's getting plus three plus three comparing that to the blaggard that feels kind of sad you look at walking corpse that's just like your generic two mana two two grizzly bear like that just is not exciting at all and doesn't have any way to, you know, Alpine Watchdog, white gets a two mana two two with vigilance, which helps with racing. Black can't do that. So the best of that bunch of two drops, I think is probably Fetid Imp for what Black is trying to do, which is be on the controlling side. So Fetid Imp now can trade up with stuff. Problem is, is that trading up with stuff is like you're trading, still trading up for a, what? A two drop, a three drop, like those are the threats you need to take out. And now this death touch activation is causing you to have to play off curve, which you can't afford to do if you're trying to play from behind and stabilize. That's the problem, right? If, if it we're just one, two flying death touch, it would be awesome. But the, the single black activation kills that card. For sure. And so th- then you're just left with black not having any ways to compete in terms of trying to add power and toughness to the board at any reasonable rate. But it, it does like in and it sounds like we're bagging on black a lot. And I mean, we are to a certain extent, but I do think what I said at the beginning of the episode stands. I think Black's playable, and I think it does have tools to combat aggressive decks. Like I think that's what its role in the format is, much more than wanting to beat down. Yes, I agree. Right. Like That's why we're so excited about Skeleton Archer as being, 
I think one of Black's top commons just because of the potential of it adding a body that's going to trade with most things and the potential to pick off a body that has been, you know, pestering you. Right. When Skeleton Archer's Flame Tongue Kavu, you feel pretty good about your chances of stabilizing. Correct. And then in the colorless department, we've got Short Sword here. You know, we've, we've talked about it. This is, you know, one of the easiest ways to get your creatures to scale into the late game. I think all of this is super awesome information, Ben. I wanted to round out our discussion by sort of asking you for how much aggro decks are supported in M21. How much is that influencing your preferences when you draft? A lot, I think. So uh, what what springs to mind initially is that I had a pack one pick one yesterday on stream that was seasoned hollow blade or Teferi's tutelage. And like to me, that's like that's the format question, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to play the sweet, fun control card that's very powerful, or do you want to beat down? And I, I took Seasoned Hallow Blade, and I think in general, you're supposed to err on the side of aggro because that's where the support is at common. That's what the commons tell you to do. So more of the time, you're going to get pushed towards an aggro deck, I think, would be my answer to that. And in my quest to draft aggro, you know, Alex tweeted about this today. He, he posted a trophy deck and said something like, uh, you know, feel like I'm trying to draft Luris Companion yeah. every, every deck or something. And that's how I feel. Like, I just want my curve to be pushed lower and lower and lower. Yeah, I think that's true. It feels to me even broader than aggro. Like, my comparison is to War of the Sparks. That felt like a set where it was so much like I want to draft Grixis, and here it feels very much that I want to draft Naya, some version. <laughs> no, can you imagine saying that? Right. I mean, but like, that's what it feels like. Blue and black just feel like they're doing different things that need cards at higher rarity. And so that's not to say that I'm not excited to draft a Teferi's Tutelage deck. That's not to say that I don't think that like a black green control grind deck can't get there because I I do believe they can, but I think I'm trying to bias myself towards getting into red, white, and green more than the other two colors. Yeah, Naya, baby. I mean, I, I am the most excited to draft green, white in my entire career in Magic the Gathering. <laughs> yeah, those plus one, plus one counters, baby. They get you. All right, that's a great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Gorger weird, you know, you're casting some spells, you turn it into a 3 3 4 4 5 5. All of a sudden, your three drop is one of the most powerful minions on the battle. Oh, minions. I have been playing too much Uh-oh. Hearthstone Battlegrounds. <laughs> wow. 
think Spellgorge are weird. You know, two and a red for the two-two that grows when you play spells. You know, you cast this on turn three, play some spells. All of a sudden, it's the biggest minion on the battlefield. You did it again. Oh, dang it. Wow. We've got our outtake for sure, oh ladies and gentlemen. Oh, my God. 